I should push it to me. We are live. Welcome to the Bags for Riches podcast. I'm Zach Ginn, your host. If you ever thought about getting into house flipping, now I know most people watching this is real estate wholesalers, real estate investors, people like that. But really, there's a voice in the back of a lot of the people's heads on when they're getting to wholesaling. They're like, man, if I actually you know, found funding for this deal and I actually put some money into it, flipped it, it could have probably turned that $30,000 wholesale deal into a $60,000, $70,000 deal. And honestly, it's a little scary for a lot of people and there's a lot of stuff you can do wrong doing it. So I decided really to bring on the only guy I could think of, the man who can make seven figures with no cash, no credit, anything, Gabe De Silva. Gabe is in an extremely competitive wholesaling market and somehow he makes it work making millions of dollars in profit from his flips and he's doing six-figure deals. And honestly, I'm really excited to just pick his brain and see his business step-by-step. Step. I'm going to unveil the curtain for you guys today. We're going to learn actually how to fix and flip the right way. Thank you so much for coming on today, Gabe. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I'm excited to uh, pull back the curtain. Like you said, uh, I'm an open book. Anything I can do to bring value to the listeners, uh, viewers, I'm happy to do so. And uh, I genuinely believe that you can systematically build and scale a fix and flip operation that consistently generates six-figure rehabs. We've done it. We've shown others how to do it. So I'm excited to um, chop it up with you. Talk about that. Sweet. So before we get into it, guys, if you can, please smash that like button and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. Comment below anything you got for Gabe. Comment below what market you're in. Gabe works with people around the country. He'll tell you if your market's like really good for fixing and flipping or not. So comment below. Uh, I know my market, wholetailing is more of a better option. You know, New Jersey, you know, he just adds extra stories. We'll get into all that. But guys, comment below, smash the like button, subscribe. But uh, Gabe, how did you get into real estate? So my my origin story starts with a um, a failed restaurant. So I had a five year run in the restaurant business. Um, it didn't pan out for a whole host of reasons. That's a whole nother story. But that transition uh, served me in that I learned in the restaurant business you absolutely have to be on top of your systems. It's a very unforgiving business in that sense. And so I brought processes and systems something that you absolutely need to have to succeed in the restaurant business, to keep a thriving restaurant running uh, to the real estate, to the fix and flip game. Um, this niche uh, is often a shoot from the hip, contractors swinging hammers, running jobs out of their trucks, right? It, it's very much not a systematic type of business. And so when I brought a systematic approach to this business, uh, it went on to serve us really well and afford us the ability to scale. So my foray into entrepreneurship was um, like a lot of people's, right? I had no other choice. I had just been let go and it was two um, furloughs in 18 months and kind of just like had my head spinning. It was like, what the hell am I going to do? Uh, I want to be the master of my own destiny. I'm going to go the entrepreneurial route, did the restaurant thing for five years. Uh, I ultimately sold that to a partner and uh, I call it a failure, but it wasn't. That's not re really the right word for it. Um, but it, what it was, was a transition. And so, um, that led me into real estate, something my family's been in for a long time. My dad was a builder. Uh, I grew up in and around the business on job sites, watching him uh, review business plan um, blueprints at the kitchen table. So it was always there in the periphery. It just uh, 
for whatever reason, never really clicked for me until I sold the restaurant and said, I don't know why I didn't give this a shot sooner. And um, one deal led to another, led to another. And I'm sure we'll get into that part of the story. Uh, and here we are today. Okay. So the reason why I want to bring Gabe on, because Gabe's a legit flipper. Again, this isn't the guy that you see on HGTV. They'll find a house on the MLS, buy it for full market value, and then you know throw a stupid amount of money doing unnecessary repairs and then putting them back on the market. He's not your average, you know, you sell it to a cash buyer and they'll pay like a crazy amount. This dude actually has a legitimate business doing it. He's not the average HGTV guy. So I'm telling you, this is why we got him on. Learn the processes of it. So can you describe your first couple flips and how you kind of learned the tricks of the trade really to house flipping? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way a lot, like a lot of other guys, man, I, I fall into a thing and then uh, it's not lack of resources. It's lack of resourcefulness that prevents us from achieving a goal or um, attempting a thing, whatever that is. And so for me with house flipping, I fall into a project and it quickly got out of hand. Uh, thankfully, coming from the restaurant space, I had the ability to step back and look at it and say, wow, this thing's going sideways fast. Let me implement a process. Let me put a system in place whereby I can address this issue, this problem. As it was coming up, I was starting to see things get away from me. And I said, okay, let me fix this. Because it was meant to be a cosmetic rehab, uh, the first deal. I go in there and put three day laborers in there doing demo, telling them to rip the kitchen out, rip the bathroom out, uh, two bathrooms and a kitchen and um, a couple other cosmetic things, right? And I keep showing up at the end of each day to pay the guys. And I'm like, wow, they took down that added wall that wasn't supposed to come down. All right. The next day, same thing. I show back up. There's another wall that came down that wasn't supposed to come down. So over the course of a week, this is happening and it's getting out of hand. It's getting away from me. Uh, I come to realize at the end of that week that I'm now in a full gut rehab. I meant to be in a cosmetic rehab and now I'm doing a full gut rehab. Um, and so therein started my, uh, my education, uh, over the course of the next couple of months, I put that house back together, um, and ultimately made a great spread, uh, did like an 82 or 86 K spread on that deal. That was the first Ooh. deal we ever did. And so I said, wow, like wow. if I had just gone the cosmetic route, uh, I don't know that I would have made this much money. So uh, next house, we went a little bit bigger. Uh, now, having had that experience and knowing that we could do it, uh, I said, let's go for a, a big add a level next. So I jumped straight from a cosmetic rehab to an add a level. And With we never looked back. So we take a dated, a cape, a ranch, or a bungalow, anything that's uh, like square or rectangular, right? Something that's really simple, got a really clean footprint, and we blow the roof off, and we just essentially put a house on top of a house. And in turn, doubling the square footage, really forcing appreciation, you're really creating value. <laughs> and, uh, and that's where the big spreads come in. That's where an 82 or 86 or whatever case spread on a gut rehab, on a cosmetic rehab turned gut rehab, that's a common um, spread on an ad level. That's what you're building in or better on these bigger projects. And so I said, Let, let's go. If we're going to do this, let's do this. I was um, coming off the restaurant. I said, I got, I got to make up for lost time too. So I just put my head down and went and uh, continued to systematically scale this thing, build it to, uh, to the point where we were doing multiples in parallel. And, uh, 
and anyway, yeah, that, that, that's how the first few looked. Okay. So before any wholesalers decided that, you know what, I, I'm out of here. I don't want to listen to this before, because it, this is the one question they're going to say in their head. Okay, Gabe, that's all cool. I don't have $50,000 to put into a rehab. Like I got like a couple grand. How can I actually get into fix and flipping? So what, what, what can they do? Because before like the wholesalers are going to get out of here. They're, they're going to, they think this is crazy. Right. How are you actually doing it with no money? And how do you teach people how to do that? Yeah. So, uh, I did it with no money, right? So I did it with no money. So if I can do it, you certainly can do it. Uh, all you have to have is certainty around the process. Well, you have to have a good deal first and foremost, and the math has to yep. make sense. But then you have to have certainty around the process. Um, and that, that requires two things, the finances and the construction. So get a good construction partner, a good solid GC that you know knows what they're doing. And there's ways to do that. And we can possibly dig into that. I don't know how deep we'll want to go with that, but how to vet good GCs to make sure you have a good one. And then the finance stuff you're talking about, there are plenty of people that are looking for nice returns on their money if they can put their money in the hands of a trusted sponsor, of a trusted operator. And you have to present yourself as such by building out your credibility packet by saying, hey, and like you are not a team of one. If you've noticed, I haven't said I or me once. I've said we. So even at the beginning, when it was just me, literally me in there with my day laborers, swinging hammers, trying to make sense of that disaster, uh, I still always thought we. And so who's the we? Well, at the time, it was just me. But it was me and my team, my extended team of professional service providers. And so when I come to my hard money lenders, any hard money lender, there's plenty of money to be had out there right now. And you position yourself as this guy with a team around him, you're more than likely going to get that loan. The terms are going to suck, right? Like you're not going to get great terms right out of the gate. My first deal was done with three points and 13%. So those are rough terms to make work and we still net 80K. So I Can mean, you explain really quick what points are? Because I did not know that until you know I got yeah. in the nitty gritty of some deals I've done. Uh, just because there's a lot of extremely new guys on here. Okay. Uh, can we slow down a little here? What is a point and what is on top of that, the interest rate? Yeah. So the points are what the lender wants upfront. That's what gets them comfortable with lending you the money. So if you're taking out a $300,000 loan, they're going to want 3000. They want three points, 1%, 2%, three points, 3%. Uh, is that right? No, that's 9,000. So they want that money upfront. That's the comfort level that they get um, to then lend you the balance. And then you service that balance, that 300 that you borrow, you're going to service that monthly at 13%. That's what I did. So I was making like, I was paying upfront and then I was making fat monthly payments each month to my lender to keep them comfortable with the fact that they had just given me a ton of money. So, and we can talk about the, um, the OPM piece of this, the no money down piece of this next, if, if that's where you want to go. Yeah, no, there's definitely that. But the other question was, how old were you when you started doing this? Uh, 28. And so, I mean, a guy in his 20s, I mean, I'm in my early 20s now. So yeah. how would how would someone in their early 20s even get approved for a loan? Because it, it just seems like it, this kid's crazy. He's got some crazy thoughts. How would you even approach someone looking to even do that lending? Yeah. So this is the beauty of it is they don't necessarily care about you. They don't care about your credit history. They don't particularly care about like 
what your DTI is, right? Your debt to income. You might have no income. You might be, like you said, in your early 20s, right? What they care about, and that's not 100% accurate, right? If you've been proven to not pay debt back, they're not liking you, right? right? If you've got a history of not paying back your debts, you're not the guy they're, they're liking, right? They're liking me. And then there's ways that you can make that work too, right? You partner with someone. But like what they really care to see is the deal. The deal is more important than you are in particular. Like the fact that you're a good sponsor and that you pay your debts back is important. Beyond that though, they want to see a deal with a fat spread because then they know they're good. Worst, worst case scenario, they get the deal, right? You stop making payments, they take the deal. So they have that collateral built in. They're covered. Um, so, and that's not what like lenders are not in that business. I'm not suggesting that they are, but that's how they do their risk mitigation math. They say, yeah. hey, listen, this guy goes side, this deal goes sideways. I'm taking this deal back from this guy. Um, and he's out. So again, there's ways to do this. And if you're new, the best way is to line yourself with the right partners. Okay. But Again, we got the good deal here. Would you recommend when finding the deal here, because I'm trying to get a broad overview for everyone that's newer, mm -hmm. would you try to do the wholesale model, You know, do the marketing for it? I mean, I see a bandit sign behind you. Like, yeah. How would you actually go find that deal? Yeah, I find them the exact same way you guys find them. It, it's, uh, in fact, you're better wholesalers than I will ever be, frankly. Like, I just know that my gift, my unique ability is in the construction piece, is in the value add component after the deal's already been found. I find a lot of our stuff too. Um, and I'm fortunate that I do because I don't have to pay those assignments. So I get the deal direct, even baking in a fatter spread for me. But if you guys can find deals, you've already got the biggest piece of the puzzle right there in hand. The deal's what it's all about. Once you've got a fat, once you got a deal with a fat spread built in right there, um, if you're not comfortable with the construction piece, find someone who is align with them, and then you guys stand to make a whole lot more money, right? The whatever the average wholesale assignment fees are these days in your market, um, I I know they're not six figures. So let's figure out a way to put some uh, add some value to this asset and get six figures out of this thing. And if you get half of that. Because you had to align with a con with a construction partner or someone that will co-sign with you, whatever the case is, uh, still better off. Still better off getting half of the fat spread than getting the twenty five or thirty five hundred dollars assignment fee or whatever the numbers are. Oh, definitely. So, uh, just from an overview here, so I get the wholesale type thing. You know, I do my marketing, cold calling, trying for dollars. I find the person, I lock up the contract. You know, great price. Now I got the deal. How would you recommend somebody now find a lending? person? Like, do I go on Facebook? Like, how am mm -hmm. I finding these people? I mean, if you're active in the real estate space right now, you have to be getting inundated with messages from lenders. I am opening an email a day or every other day yeah. from somebody who's trying to throw money at me. And they don't know them. They don't know me personally. I'm just on lists. Sure. And so I'm getting blasted with these emails. So there's no shortage of money out there. There's a shortage of good money, good lending partners. So you're going to find good lending partners the way you find anything else that's good. Uh, a players roll with A players. You're going to look for referrals from other A players. Your A player plumber knows an A player electrician because they don't want to roll with C's and D's because that makes them look bad. That makes their life harder. So your, your A player investors know the A player lenders. Like I've done multiple interviews with my preferred hard money lender, my private money lending partners. You guys... Um, if you're regional, these guys are like Northeast, you guys can leverage my existing partnerships with my like hard money lending partners, because 
I've worked with them for years. The same hard money lender that put the, the money into that very first deal, I'm still with them today. So, I mean, that'll tell you what a good lender relationship is worth. Definitely. I think the one thing I want to clarify when trying to find a lender, don't go to like Quicken Loans and then ask if they can uh, fund your deal for you. You're going to have to find like not, was it institutional lenders, like people mm -hmm. that they got their own type of company going. Is that, would that be yeah. correct? Yes. Sm smaller guys look for smaller uh, regional or state uh, hard money lending partners. You, you don't like you, as you scale, you'll get to a place where you can have like your local, like your regional lending partner, and then you can have a national lending partner that'll open you up with a big line, right? So like a $10 million line with lending home out of Texas, like that's a big national yeah. lender, right? That's going to throw money at you at really uh, favorable terms, but their service is going to, it's not going to be that great, right? Your regional partner who's in the same state and will visit your project, like that's a good place to get started. And that's with the hard money side. That's with like the balance of the purchase price and the construction monies. That's not talking about your cash to close, your skin in the game. That you do with friends and family money or you do with a guy like me or other guys in your market that are active. You connect with them. Like I said, A players, get around them, get in their orbit, bring them a deal and they're going to be the skin in the game that you don't have. You might have five grand in the bank. Uh, you need 50 to put down on this deal. Guys like us, are, we're looking for those opportunities to partner with younger wholesalers, newer, greener. They don't have to be younger. They just need to be newer, greener, learning, and, and hungry. Okay. And so when it comes to that, we got the lender. He says, you know, 13%, two points, something like that. How do I leverage that OPM on that initial six, seven grand then? Yeah. Well, the other thing too, just piggybacking off like the previous point is, if you're aligning with the right partner, you're going to get better terms. So you get my terms yeah. if you're in a deal with me, right? But say that's not the case, say, because uh, it's not that long ago that I was standing in that house, right? Kind of scratching my head, wondering what the hell happened here, paying three and 13. Like, I, I haven't forgotten that that's how you start. That's how I started. Uh, I got friends and family to have enough faith in me trust and faith in me and in the process, right? Having vetted the deal and presented it to them in a professional way that they were like, all right, we'll take a shot on this with you. And that's where your skin in the game is going to come from early on. Frankly, most of you are going to leverage friends and family money. You're going to talk to someone that you went to school with. That's got a full-time job now that's making good money or uh, a wealthy uncle or dentist, whatever, right? You're going to go local to the people that you that you know, people that trust you above and beyond the project, right? They, they know you. It's the opposite of the hard money lender who doesn't necessarily knows you, but knows how to vet deals. And he's going to look at the deal. So that's where the OPM comes from. That's how you do this with none of your own money. You are the sweat equity. You are the uh, visionary that kind of crafts this thing and brings all the parts and pieces together. And for that, you get compensated amazingly well at the end. But, uh, you have to be the guy that's willing to like hang your shingle. You got to get, you got to be willing to get out there and say that like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And this is what I'm going to do. If you're not comfortable doing that, then you need to align with partners that, that are, and you have to be selective about that too. But uh, to your question, yeah, that's where the OPM comes from. It's going to be friends and family early on. And then as time goes on, you're going to have people that want to invest with you because they see your track record. 
Definitely. Uh, another thing too, the quickest way that I've ever made $9,000, no money has been wholesaling. So I, the best way to get into fix and flipping is to make a, li like a little bit of money wholesaling. So you just, you figure out the process. So, you know, you know how to get negotiations done. You get, get stuff at a good price, but once you get that money, it's kind of gravy from there. So mm -hmm. when my real question for you is you're in New Jersey, it's, I mean, 500,000 plus deals are everywhere there in my market. I can buy houses for 50 grand. I can buy houses for 300 mm -hmm. throughout the country. Is there a big difference if I'm in like Oklahoma city trying to flip houses that are like a hundred thousand dollars versus where you're at? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this model works in, uh, all over the country. What it tends to work in is secondary and tertiary cities outside of the main yeah. cities, right? Like outside of Manhattan, you're not going to do this inside of Manhattan, but as you get further and further away, like we live and do these types of projects in a town that's 35 minutes outside of the city, it's a secondary city or a tertiary city, right? And anywhere that you can buy the canvas, that original Cape or ranch for say $200,000 in my market, if you can buy the original Cape for 200,000, and once you put a house on top of a house, right? To make it simple, it sells for 500 or better, two and a half times multiple. That's a qualified market. That's a market where this model works. And that's how we teach our students to do it. I say, hey, go find a market where you can qualify it, where it, where this exists, where this um, two and a half times rule applies. And that's usually gonna be in 30 to 40 minutes of a major city. And there's plenty of opportunities to do this all around the country. A lot of people are doing it. It's just go qualify the market. And then once you've qualified the market, that's where you go heavy on the whole set. That's where you go heavy on the marketing. Okay. So definitely that tertiary city. I mean, I'm outside of Palm Beach. I'm an insane wholesaling market. So good wholesaling markets are really good. Uh, so can we break down like a real deal? Because I'm really curious on the actual real numbers because you can go say you made 200, but mm -hmm. it doesn't, I'm a very visual person. So you saying you did that builder. So the last deal you've done, can you break down the numbers for us on the profit, mm -hmm. what you had to do to actually get the deal, how you found it, uh, just a complete like real deal scenario so people can kind of visualize what yeah. the life of Gabe De Silva is. So the last deal is the best deal we've ever done. So it's going to be pretty stupid, but I'll Ooh. tell you guys. <laughs> so uh, we drove for dollars, right? Uh, used deal machine, pin the house, the postcard goes to the house. They call, uh, they had already had another investor come through. He had made an offer and, and faded on them. And so we do what we do best. We step up and say, we're not him. We do what we say. We say what we do. Um, we're here and we're going to make you an offer and we're going to close. And so they had already been burned. So uh, that was our opportunity to step up. And because we had done this before uh, and we could prove that we were legitimate, our offer goes and gets accepted. So we buy for 535. So in my in my market, this is right. So I'm in a I'm in a wild market. Yeah. So everybody take that with a grain of salt. So what my market, market is it for everyone? So this is Union County, New Jersey. So it's proximity to Manhattan, 35 minutes direct train line to the city. So there, there's the demand, right? It's people can um, make city money, but they can live in the suburbs and be to work in 35 minutes. Uh, this is pre-pandemic. So we pay 535 for uh, for the canvas for the this one happened to be a really big cape. So it had a little bit of an extension on it already. 
we went up over the existing house. We spent 400,000 to do this. Uh, this is not what I would advise that people do on their first deal. This is a specific kind of deal in a very specialized market. Uh, we sold for 1.55. So, oh my God. <laughs> I told you this yes. thing looked pretty stupid, but so we, we carried, uh, we carried 700 plus thousand dollars in, um, private money debt okay. for, uh, eight months. So we had some pretty significant debt service to pay, but the beauty was that we were able to balloon all of it at the end. So because we've been doing this a while, we were able to get our lenders. This was a bunch of different private money lenders. Uh, we were willing, they were willing to let us carry the entire project and then pay them off the HUD. So we didn't have to make any payments each month. If we had on a project this size, those payments could have easily been $6,000 a month, which would have made it painful to carry a project like this. But the beauty is we got to pay them with the proceeds from the sale. So, and everything's bigger on a project like this. So don't do 1.55 minus 400 minus 550 and say, whoa, you made all that because we didn't because there's yeah. still, there's still selling costs, right? There's uh, the commissions on the sale of a house like that are not 25,000, <laughs> right? They're more like 75,000. So you're paying some big um, commissions, hefty commissions. You're paying $30,000 a year in uh, real estate taxes to carry that house just because of the market. Yeah. So this is, so th there's a lot of other um, costs associated with that. But the point is that like, this is the best deal we've done to date. So of course the numbers look the way they look, but I don't want people to say, well, those are just crazy numbers. And I can't even think in the million dollar like range. So this doesn't work for me because while we're doing that exact same project, we're doing the one I described earlier where we buy for 185, we put in 165 and we sell for 535. So it's the same exact model, except it's in another town um, where the demand's not quite that high, but the model still works. The two and a half times multiple still applies. So we buy a smaller cape. We do the same thing, rip the roof off, put a box on top of a box, um, sell it and realize that same um, proportionate spread, right? It, it's proportionately wise, it's the same. So it's six figures on 500,000 as opposed to 300,000 on 1.5 million. Wow. And on that 1.5 million, I know there's there's team members got to pay everything. What was the net, 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 net on that? 350. Jeez. And, and when did you buy that? 12-ish uh, months ago. I, what was your feeling on there when that pandemic happened? When like you had all this money sunk in there, you yeah. know, you see everything shut down, NBA shut down. Like what, what was going through your head during that moment? Cause not a yeah. lot of people like to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, move, like move your ass. Like that's what was going through my head. Get this shit done and sold fast. We were fortunate that the pandemic drove people out of Manhattan, like screaming with their hair on fire, looking to buy in the suburbs. So we were beneficiaries of the pandemic. This is the best year we've ever had. And every project that we had going all sold for above asking, all sold, almost all sold pre-construction. Like we had a bunch of these going and they all sold. We didn't carry a single house for more than a week because the second it was done, we were just inundated with city buyers that needed a place to live because they didn't want 
Like in the city, you got a neighbor above you, below you, to the left, to the right. You're riding the escalator together, the elevator together. You're in the hallways together. So people are freaking out because of COVID. And we were fortunate, right? I, I don't want to say lucky. We were ready. We were ready. Our projects were there when they were ready to buy. So um, yeah, that, that 1.55 deal was modeled at 1.45. So we did over $100,000 in just carry, just because we brought it to market when we did. Definitely. I mean, I, I'm in bidding wars right now for some wholesale deals I got. It, it's absolutely insane what's going on now. And wow. So what is probably the most important thing in your business right now that you have to get right in your systems? Like what is the biggest, I wouldn't say bottleneck, but what's the most important system in that conveyor belt? It's the, uh, it's the milestone template and, and like the trade tracker. These are two like proprietary documents that we created that allow us, allowed us to systematically like build and scale our operation. So a lot of guys can only ever do one deal at a time. And until they finish that flip, they can't do another. Well, that's because they don't have a process in place and they get burdened by all the steps. But if the steps are clearly delineated for us, there's 60 steps. We have a 60 step milestone to take a dated cape and turn it into a beautiful colonial, like it's 60 steps. And inside of those steps, excuse me, are individual tradesmen that need to do the things they need to do in the order they need to do them. So you can't have a painter come in before a framer. The framer has to create the house that the painter eventually paints. So there's just an order of operations. And so for us, like we quickly realized that in, if we didn't put those processes and systems in place, we were going to be running around shooting from the hip like every other contractor, like every other flipper, every other rehabber. Um, they often don't know they need the next trade in until the trade before them finishes. Like That's not how you run a, a job. That's how a job takes a year and a half. You have to know, hey, like this guy's wrapping up. He's got about a week left. Like I should be on the phone with the guy that comes in behind him. And a week's not even enough time. We, we have two week lead times. So if I know a plumber is going to plumb a house and he's going to be out of there in two weeks, uh, I need to be talking to the guys that come in behind him, which is insulation, drywall floors. And then as those insulators, the drywallers and the floor guys are finishing up, I need to have trim tile paint on call, right? Just I need to just be on their radar. Those guys need to know that I exist and that my job exists. And then as we get closer, you don't want to be badgering them. But within a week, somebody's got to be reaching out to them. Your project manager needs to be like on their ass. Like, hey, guys, I, you haven't been by to check this, this job out. We're going to need you on site in the next two weeks. Can you come by and give us a quote? And so anyway, that that's the process. That's like the missing link in everybody's rehab business. Okay. I mean, my... My other question here is just in my market, because I do a lot of wholetailing completely different than your model here. It's, you know, I, I might need a contractor to just do like maybe a bathroom or something like that. The biggest issue I've been finding in my market is there's so much demand for fixing properties right now. It's like my, my plumbers are like, oh, I'll get to it when I get like, how are you getting your guys in there? Because there's such demand for work like that from being like behind on your deals. Yeah. So we're fortunate in that we've been at it for a while. And so we build, um, we flip all year round. This isn't something we do when the weather's nice. Unlike most retail customers are giving these guys jobs when the weather's nice, right? In the summers when they usually decide they're going to do renovations around the house, things like that. Well, in the dead of winter, like now here in New Jersey, we've kept guys busy for years. And so our jobs essentially not essentially, we want to believe that our jobs would take precedent because we're the ones that keep their guys paid in the off months. 
So when nobody's doing work because it's the holidays and they're, they're spread thin with Christmas presents or it's January, it's too cold, it's February, whatever, like we're busy. We were building houses. I've shoveled snow out of the inside of a house numerous times, Jeez. right? Like we've ripped roofs off. We've had our framers rip a roof off a house in December and put it back on in January. And so wow. uh, I say that to say that we've been giving them work and so we get priority. But like, if that's not your case, right? Again, I don't, I don't take for granted that I was getting started just five years ago, right? It's almost six years ago. Well, I had to align myself with them and have them see the bigger picture. Like I'm not the like shoot from the hip, get one done, disappear, never do another one again kind of guy. Like this is a business for me. It's going to be a business. And even then, like I said, I never say I, I say we, I spoke like we were a business, like we were an organization and that we were at scale. And uh, that has a lot to do with your branding and anyway, a whole host of different things, but get them to understand that this isn't about a one and done thing. Like you guys are going to work together for the next few years and you're gonna make a lot of money together and that should get them on board. Okay. And so when you go and you're doing your fix and flips here, you're talking about the flooring, the paint, the bathrooms, things like that. Are you trying to do like a very general approach to it? Like, are you doing personal touches to these houses or are you going like straight, like this is the floor. This is the only thing that we're going to do on each property. Yeah. So at first, yes, it was, it was home Depot special. Everything was very generic. It's whatever I could put on like the U-boat at home Depot when I was first getting started. But what I've realized is we stepped up into these higher price point homes and we needed to differentiate ourselves from other homes at or around yeah. that price point. And the only way to do that was to have each one uniquely designed. So we hired a design team to do the design on each house. So it was slightly different for each house and it was price point appropriate. So we have design cues, let's say for 500 houses, for 750 houses, for a million houses, for 1.25 houses. At every 250-ish K increment, the house requires a slightly different design, slightly nicer fixtures, things like that. The other beauty of this is that when we did that, we came to the realization we're no longer just flippers. We're not just flipping one, two, three Main Street, uh, although that is the LLC name and that is the house. We are builders. We're master builders. We're crafting a beautiful custom home that can then sell for a premium. So, uh, yeah, quickly get away from that. You know, if you want to scale this thing, uh, plenty of people do really well, uh, just rinse and repeat and doing the same rehabs over and over. Uh, our intention was to scale, was to get to these, uh, new construction projects with hundreds of thousands of dollars of spread baked in and to get there, you also have to understand that your decision-making capacity is finite. You can't just be like that house, for example, at 1.5 million had an 11 page um, material schedule of design selections. It was roughly 400 design selections. So that's a lot of stuff. It was a six bedroom, six bathroom house. It had um, fixtures galore. It had I forget how many, 67 doorknobs, something like that. So like those types of decisions, I suffer from decision fatigue. It's why if you ever see any of my videos, I'm always wearing the same color hat that goes with the same color shirt and the same color sneakers. Like I'm like Steve Jobs in that sense, like, uh, or Zucks, right? I don't want to have to make a lot of decisions. I want to save my decision-making capacity for the things that are going to generate me the most revenue. And so anyway, I outsource des design to the experts. 
Okay. And are you staging your houses when you're selling them? Uh, we pre-sell a good portion of our stuff so we don't have to stage it, but we always stage our houses. So when I do my budget, my scope of work, staging is a line item for which I allocate $4,000. Like that's it always. Wow. It's a non-negotiable. I learned early on that a staged home sells faster and for more money. It's just a fact. So uh, just commit to it early on. It's a non-negotiable. You don't have to think about it. Just put it in your budget and where you are in your market and maybe 2000, 3000, even four is a lot. It's these are for bigger houses. I stage a lot of the rooms, right? I want to make the house feel lived in so people can visualize themselves in it. And again, I'm always pushing the premium in the market. So I'm not the guy that's selling the cheapest house at that size, that bed and bath count and square footage. I'm selling it at the top. So I have to make my product look that much better than everything else on the market. Okay. And uh, before we get into it, guys, comment below your questions for Gabe. We're about to do a Q&A with the audience here, but Really important question here is, so I kind of got some questions from the beginning to end. I'm sort of understand your systems going on, but mm -hmm. can you give me a broad overview of your team and your entire system? Now, I know you have your whole, you have courses, you got lots of material to help people out with that, but can you give me a, just a broad look at what your mm -hmm. business systems are looking like? Yeah. So like a, like the org chart essentially, right? So yeah. it's uh so I wear two hats. I'm both visionary and integrator in my organization. Mm -hmm. So the visionary is the CEO, casts the vision. Where are we going? Big picture, high level stuff. The integrator is the COO, is the head of operations, the one that's driving mm -hmm. that vision through to the organization. So I still wear both hats. As an organization grows, um, you split those two out. Right now, I'm still both. Then to support that are a head of finance, a project management and the head of marketing. Those are the three seats you need filled with A players. They have to absolutely be A players. If they're not, don't hire them. Continue to do the work yourself until you can put an A player in that seat because it's gonna cost you more than it's worth to put a B player in there. So your head of finance is the person that's going to um, keep you on task with budgets, open all your LLCs, manage all your bank accounts, um, handle all your administrative stuff in the office, HR, all that type of stuff. As you scale, at first, um, they're gonna be an administrative assistant that's doing a lot of like calling for inspection appointments, things like that. Over time, that role expands. Your project manager, your head of ops, that's your field rep. That's the guy that's making sure that in the field, people are showing up when they're supposed to be, that like tradesmen are on site, That permits are getting submitted and reviewed by the town. Um, then your head of marketing in you guys, you and your listeners know this role better than I do. Like my head of marketing handles a lot of our outbound lead gen stuff, yeah. but also our um, inbound uh, like acquisitions, dispo. We, we don't really do dispo. We're our own dispo. We've, we've done yeah. a bunch of wholetail this year though but uh, our operations division buys a lot of our leads and we go on and flip the houses. But um, we also, like you said, we have our education company. And so marketing to us looks like that now, like we are driving traffic to our social platforms. We are on YouTube recording videos, we're teaching and educating. So uh, our marketing head, I, I would say, runs our socials more so than they do outbound lead gen stuff where in your world, that would probably be more um, R RVM, SMS, uh, direct mail, cold calling, overseeing the team of VAs in the Philippines. Like that's what that role 
did for us for a very long time. And then it's those three roles. And then from there down, you just start splitting things out. Like if in marketing, you're growing and scaling so fast that you need acquisitions and dispositions, then you hire two people. And then if you're getting so many deals that you need three acquisitions and three dispositions, then you hire more people. And it's an org chart. It just flows down and it continues to evolve as you need it to, as you scale. Okay. And if, so how many people in total? So for the whole operation, you'd say? Three people. Three. Okay. We are. Then you got the. We're super lean. Like as, um, like for a three person organization to do the volume that we do, the gross revenue that we do is really uncommon. A lot of organizations to get to nearly $10 million will have 13 people or 18 people. They'll be super fat. The organizations, right? There's the mouse, the gazelle and the elephant. Like we are the gazelle. The mouse is the solopreneur and still does everything themselves. The gazelle is us. Like we're super lean. We've got the right people in the right seats and we're cranking and everybody's churning. And then the elephant just has too many people bumping into each other. They're just, the organization's top heavy. It's fat. It's got a lot of overhead. Um, they could be doing a lot more with a lot less, frankly. Um, so anyway, that's a really good way to look at it. That, that's the way I, I like to teach it. It's the mouse, the gazelle, and the elephant. And be the gazelle. Always try and be the gazelle. Okay. And obviously, I mean, I've made a bunch of mistakes starting out when I start out. Probably in the past, I would say five years. I mean, I, I'm assuming you've made some mistakes before. <laughs> if you could sit yourself in a room, you got to time travel from now to where you were five years ago. What would be the three things you would tell yourself? Oh, I love these questions, man. This is like my favorite question to close out my podcast with. <laughs> so, uh, so the five year ago, Gabe was an idiot, right? So, and he should be like, if every year you don't look back on the guy a year ago and say, that guy was an idiot, then you haven't grown enough. You haven't learned enough. So five years ago, I'm standing in that house, gutted out, um, with no real understanding of how I'm going to get it to the finish line. That house burdened me mentally and emotionally in a way it didn't have to like by having had the right partner in there with me the construction piece wouldn't have been as burdensome i had to learn a lot of what i learned on the fly there i had to beg and plead to get tradesmen to come in and let me work over their shoulder so i could see how they did what they did if i had had the right contractor partner that wouldn't have been the case so i would say aligning with the right contractor partner early on that's a big one for me going back um on the finance piece, I took whatever money I could get early on, not realizing that if I had shopped around earlier, not at the time, like um, you don't have time to get ready. You have to be ready. And so when the deal presents itself, you're going to take whatever money you can get. And you should because you need to get that deal done. So it's better to take really expensive money and get the deal done than to not take any money at all and lose the deal. But you should never be in that position because you should be relentlessly fundraising. You should be relentlessly raising constantly and always be putting yourself out there, telling people what you do and be creating a Rolodex of potential investors. So uh, I wasn't doing that. I got into it and said, I need to get whatever money I can get at whatever price I can get it because I got to do this deal. So aligning with a good contractor partner, uh, getting, getting diligent about raising money constantly, not only when you need it, always be raising, relentlessly be fundraising. And then the thing that I continue to do each and every year is elevate the circle, like to be around the people that you want to aspire to be like, uh, like you're around five fix and flip investors. You will be the sixth. You're around five wholesale guys. You will be the sixth. Like I wanted to ascend 
And as I did, my circle had to elevate with me. That's not to say like, and people call it trimming the branches. And that's not to say that you leave people by the wayside. Those people elevate with you. The ones that you want with you will come with you. So five years ago, I didn't know what circle I wanted to be in. In fact, I wasn't in any circle. And so now I know that the circle I need to be in is the circle that's got developers in it, guys that are doing big multifam development type stuff. And so quickly get around the people who model the success of those um, who you aspire to be like and, uh, and make sure they're believable. Like, let's make sure that the people that are selling you this dream have lived this dream themselves, right? If you guys go on my website and if you look at my projects and you're like, wow, this guy actually did do this stuff then like, I haven't sold you something like that is the dream. It's, it's real. It's real. So make sure that the people that you're aligning yourself with are really doing this. If they're telling you this and then you can't see any proof that it's ever happened, um, then like be wary. I'm telling you right now, I, I think a lot of audience people listening right now know that I'm against the, uh, people that like to share information that don't actually do it. That's why I literally just throw all my HUDs out my website. I don't care. Um, yeah. uh, I'm telling you right now, I, I've I've seen Gay before. I've seen his stuff. Literally on his YouTube channel, he just he had a guy following with a camera just showing you like mm -hmm. he's legitimately doing this business. And obviously, the, why I love wholetailing so much is anyone can really look me up and look at my buy price and my sell price, and mm -hmm. they'll know I'm legit. They can look at you. That's why I like it so much. So can you explain a little more about your education company when it comes to actually showing people how to fix and flip? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Like I said, early on, the people were probably there, right? I just wasn't looking for them. I was trying to do a lot on my own and you'll go further, farther together than you ever will alone. And that's why that was one of my three things I learned, right? But back then I didn't know to look and I was making a lot of mistakes because I wasn't looking in the right places for the right answers, for the education, for the support. Like, so I went back and over the course of those first three years, I documented every mistake I made so I wouldn't make it again. And then I hit a hundred mistakes and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of mistakes, right? And then I captured them in that book, right? I, I made a, a book where I said, let me document all the things I've done. And then that became my business card. I started handing that out to people at events saying, hey, like, I hope this brings you value. Here's all the stuff I didn't know that I wished I had known. Right? Here's a $12,000 mistake. Here's a $4,000 mistake. Here's a $14,000 mistake. Uh, I hope you guys avoid these. And that's what it was. And it started that way. And then people started asking uh, about the build. Right, you, you alluded to the docu-series where we had someone follow us around. People started asking if they could follow us around. I, I had a couple of um, people shadow me. We did ride-alongs, day-in-the-life type stuff with investors. And that started to get um, burdensome. It, was, it wasn't scalable. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I said, let me just bring a guy, a guy with a camera around and let's capture it and let's put that footage out there and help people that way. Um, and then it just, it evolves organically. Then people say, you know, I've seen what you're doing now. I've seen the real of it. Like I've seen it in real life. Uh, the docu-series is interesting. I'm still interested. Now I really want to do it. Uh, can you coach me? That turns into a, uh, a workshop, right? Or we, we develop a, a, a virtual workshop during COVID, things like that, a curriculum. And so that's what I've worked on this year with COVID. I, I I've taken my curriculum that I would ordinarily teach in person at our workshops uh, and I've made it uh, evergreen and put it on Kajabi. So we have an online course that shows people how to do what we do, the find, fund, fix and flip of six figure rehabs um, like we've been talking about. Cool. And what is that? Fix and Flip Foundation? Yeah. Fix and Flip Foundation. It's uh, inclusive of that book that's behind me. It's inclusive of like the in-person workshops, the online course. 
And, um, and we have a mastermind for guys that are doing this at scale, for guys that are doing one, three, six, but want to go to 10, 12, 15 of these like a year. Um, okay. What's so, the website? Uh, they can get the book at fliptipbook.com. If they want to go there, start there. Uh, the best place to really find all this, because I, I encourage people to explore. Don't come and jump into a course, right? I encourage you to go to my website. Go to gabedesilva.com. Go to my website. And you can link through to all of this stuff and explore. Go, I have so much free content out there that you can learn how to do this essentially without paying me. Like if you really want to dig deep, go watch the build docu series. That's 14 episodes. That'll educate you like no HGTV show ever has. <laughs> and then after you watch that, go dive into my other YouTube stuff, right there. The, the book's free. Like there's, there's a ton of content out there that you guys can get. And then, um, and then decide if this is for you. And if it is, uh, it, the spreads are there. If, if, if you have the tolerance for it, and if you have the desire to do it and qualify your market, and if it makes sense, then we can work together on, on how to do it. I'm, I'm doing that with a bunch of folks right now. Wow. And another question I really had for you is, I mean, everyone really had a mentor that helped them out starting out. In the past, let me think, three years, I would say, who had the biggest influence on your success? Uh, so I would, I would say they're not direct mentors to me. Like my proximity, my circle is, uh, is guys that are at or slightly above my level and we kind of congregate together and we try and a uh, raising tide lifts all boats. It's that kind of thing that keeps us constantly growing. What yep. keeps us grasping and reaching is the stuff that we see online. Like, and I'm in masterminds with like, so I'm in Ed Milet's mastermind. I would say Ed Milet's been the most, and he and I aren't in direct communication in his mastermind. He coaches me and 300 other people, but my proximity to Ed via YouTube has been so impactful on my life in the last 12 to 18 months, it has without a doubt made me seven figures. Like I gladly pay him to be in his mastermind, although I know that I won't ever, unless he hosts an event, which it doesn't look like they're hosting any events anytime soon, right? But unless he hosts an event, I may never shake the man's hand, but I've had the, I've had the opportunity to learn from him via YouTube and his hosted weekly calls and his monthly um, and his quarterly stuff. So if I had to pick a name, I would say that. And if you guys don't know that name, go find, go consume that man's work. Anything that man's touched, you know, go there. But, you know, guys like him and uh, Tony Robbins, uh, um, Sam Harris, uh, I'm just big on the thinkers, like guys who look at things differently. Daniel Kahneman, Eric Weinstein, like I listen to these guys, Tom Bilyeu of Impact Theory. Uh, I consume these guys' content because what they do is they create a shift in how you see things. Um, and once that shift's taken place, like you could never go back like that. That's it. So now you know that the thing is possible, right? Like um, Grant Cardone and Gary V they're like, they're a little heavy for me now, but early on, I really like their stuff too. Uh, I just think the hustle and the grind thing has its place. Hustle and grind are a season, right? And those guys have made it a lifetime. And so, and then if that's you go, go hard. Uh, if you want balance, I would argue that maybe after you hustle and grind, you kind of transition. But um, but anyway, yeah, I know it's a long-winded answer, but I have a lot of mentors. Yeah, I mean, it's a <laughs> lot. I can tell you one tip I got right now is if you're working out, I know Gabe likes to work out, uh, don't be listening to rap music or like music. Like I, I, you already heard the songs before. Listen to a podcast or something. Like I literally learn every time I work out 
and it's been a downfall for me because I'm usually running and sometimes I'll listen to a real estate riches from Gabe and I'll hear something awesome. I'm like, I got to stop my run. I got to go like jot a notepad down and then I got to stop my run. But uh, your podcast been awesome, dude. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. That's been an opportunity for me to give back in a different kind of way. Like I do a lot of this type of stuff. Um, not this, cause this is essentially a podcast and it's me and you jamming back and forth, but I do a lot of, um, like talking head type stuff where I unpack a concept or something like that. But this was a way for me to like leverage someone else's knowledge. Right. And that's why I was so honored to have you come on and talk about wholesale because you frankly do it far better than I do. So how, how am I going to teach it when I know you, I'm blessed to know you, I'm going to bring you on and have you help me educate my following on how to do that. So always and ever be looking to connect with those people that do it better than you do. Um, and again, that's, that's the elevating the circle thing. Uh, my podcast in kind of like a, in a selfish way has been that it's been that, but again, it brings value to others too. So I'm happy to do that. Definitely. And uh, let's see. So Pamela is in uh, Colorado. Do you know any flippers in Colorado? Uh, no, I don't, but for sure there's parts of Colorado where this model works. Um, the, I don't know a flipper in Colorado. I know a guy through my fitness circle who's about to do an ad level on his house in Denver. So nice. uh, this model works. All right. We got some guys in uh, Georgia in the house. What's up? What's up? What's up, Caldrick? Mm -hmm. Um, any, I've seen some guys flipping in Georgia. I think like that Atlanta suburb is like very prime right now. Uh, let's see here. What up? What up? Happy New Year. Um, George has a question for me. It's a wholesale question. Uh, pretty quick. That's a no. Um, <laughs> so uh, Alan wants to know, uh, can you post some links? So what, what links would you say someone can go to right now? Uh, I'll drop links. Where's the best place? Under this video. Go to the comments. Know. Just go yeah. to the comments. Post a I'll, link. I'll, I'll connect. The best place for them is to go to GabeDeSilva.com. MyName.com. From there... It's the hub for everything. <laughs> Boom. GabeDeSilva.com. And then we got uh, Pamela in uh, Greenwood uh, Village. Sweet. All right. So uh, my last question for you is I ask the same question to every single uh, guest that I do have. And uh, you were on my YouTube channel before, but it was on a podcast setting. So if I threw you back Union County, you're 18 years old, I give you 300 bucks. What would you do to become the next Gabe DeSilva? Step by step. 300 bucks. I would you 300 bucks. drive for dollars. Like I would start with driving for dollars. I would get really um, specific about what I was looking for uh, because 300 is, I mean, it's a couple of tanks of gas, but what you're looking for is to identify specific properties that are a fit for, in my case, this at a level model, right? So I would be looking for jacked up um, Cape Cods and you can identify those long grass, uh, uh, gutters falling off a Buick in the driveway, like all that stuff, you know what to look for. But if they don't, there's ways that they can learn that too. But that's what 300 bucks would get me. It would get me a cup of coffee, a tank of gas. I'd go out, I'd identify those houses. Uh, I would manually write them down because I probably don't have the money for deal machine, right? If I did, I would use deal machine or um, uh, batch or I forget. There's a couple others, but yeah, there's a bunch of them. So, and then if not, I would manually, this is how we did it getting started. We printed out a matrix and we printed out a Google map and we drove every street in town, identifying every unkept Cape. And we wrote down the address and then we went and skipped it manually. We didn't pay for skips because we didn't have the money. We skipped it manually. We found out who they were and we sent them a letter and, uh, and you can get pretty far with 300 bucks like that. So, um, oh, yeah. that's how I'd get started. I mean, that's it. it 
that's uh that's how someone right out of the gate gets started with very little money it's uh that's what i love about undercover billionaire right when they drop people like grant cardone tonight like they're dropping him in the middle of nowhere with 100 bucks and he has to turn it into a million in 90 days like it's possible it's absolutely possible um it's just you have to have that belief in yourself and and that hunger man definitely so gabe i really appreciate you coming on look in the comments all of his links are down there uh, is there any last thoughts or you know mm-hmm things you want to say to the guests before we uh, hop off? I just bring it full circle and put a bow on the elevate your circle thing. I mean, it's a common theme that's run through this entire conversation. Uh, I break life up into buckets. It's uh, faith, fitness, family, finances, and friends, those five F's, those buckets. And then I try and align myself in a circle in each one of those buckets. And that circle is what's going to pull me up. So in my faith, I want to be around five guys that are growing in their faith and are stronger in theirs than I am in mine. In my fitness, I want to be around some badass dudes that are crushing it, right? Um, I want to run an Ironman, so I want to be around some triathletes this year. Uh, In my finances, I want to be around multi-multi-millionaires. I want to be around guys that are flying private because I want to fly from first coach to first class to private. So get around those guys. Elevate your circle ever and always. Um, And if you want compartmentalize it so it makes sense to you and look at the five S and that's it. Level up. Thanks. I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you guys so much for showing the love. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Steven. Much love. Um, this is it guys. This is the first episode of 2020 for the back Churches podcast. Again, a weekly guest every single week, absolutely live. Can't wait to share it with you guys. I know I'm going to have Gabe on next year. He's going to talk about how he does a million Uh, millions and millions of deals. And uh, I I truly appreciate it. So if you can smash that like button and subscribe, I truly appreciate it. There is going to be a video every single day on this channel. I promise you that. So stay tuned, subscribe. I really appreciate it. God bless.